Welcome to the Audio Conference for Pastors. This episode is an archived broadcast with our host, Bobby Gilstrap. Bobby is a former pastor, church starter, director of missions, and now the lead missionary and executive director for the Baptist State Convention of Michigan. Now, let's join Bobby and his guests for this archived edition of the Audio Conference for Pastors. Welcome to our bonus Audio Conference for Pastors on Do You Know If? Questions for Church Planters. My name is Bobby Gilstrap, and I'm the host for today's conference, and today's conference guest is Phil Spry. Phil, we want to thank you for joining us, and welcome to our audio conference for pastors today. Thanks, Bobby. Pleasure's mine. Well, we want to answer five critical questions that we need to be evaluating and looking at when it comes to launching a new church. Uh, We're going to look today at how do you know if you have enough time, enough people, money, momentum, and community awareness to launch your new church. Basically, what we want to do is we want to find out what's worked for you, Phil, and find out in your experience uh, what's made it happen. Uh, What are some things that you've learned in your church planting experience? And you've planted uh, several churches. But before we answer those questions, I want you to briefly tell us a little bit about your church starting journey. Uh, And then we'll jump right into the questions. How about help us understand who you are, Phil Spry? Uh, Thank you. I started church planting uh, shortly after Noah got off the ark and uh, have been doing nothing but that for my entire life. My first plant was in 1974. Uh, right now we're planting number nine. So uh, I have got the <clears throat> the tread marks on my front and my back. People have been run, I've been run over, stabbed. You know, it, it's a it's a battle. It's a fight. This is not a party. This is not for the faint of heart. And uh, the principal feature that has permitted me to plant nine churches in I don't know how many different states all over the country, is that I've got the right wife. She'll go anywhere. And so, uh, you know, you've got to be pretty tough to do this, and you've got to have a wife who can handle it and pretty thick-skinned as well. So we started in 1974 in California and have gone from California to Illinois, Florida, um, North Carolina, South Carolina. Well, we've just been all over uh, doing this. <clears throat> and it's been a, a wonderful experience. It's just a wonderful Wonderful thing to do. Morning attendance right now in the nine churches, or the eight, plus the one I'm starting right now, runs between six and 7,000 on Sunday morning. So I do not have the skill set to actually pastor a church of six or 7,000. That takes a very special guy. I, that's not me. However, I could get them to 500 and then leave them in the hands of someone who could take it from there. So uh, no church that I planted ever got to be more uh, than 500 people on Sunday morning when I was there. And then I would leave. I selected my own replacement in all but one of the cases. And uh, those guys have all done well and uh, propelled those things forward after I left. So uh, that's that's what I have done. I went to the Moody Bible Institute in Chicago educationally and to San Jose Christian in Northern California. Um, and uh, so I'm not particularly well educated. I'm not a, a dynamic preacher. Uh, but what I am is a hard worker. And uh, having had a call from God to plant churches, that's all I have done. So uh, I think it was uh, Bob Pierce who started World Vision who said, do one thing and do it well. And so all I have done for the last 35 years is plant new churches. What a great testimony of uh, how God's used you and how, how you've worked uh, alongside what God's developing you and your skills and your gifts uh, and how God's used that over these years. Phil, Phil we want to, to glean uh, from from some of the wisdom that God's given you over these years. And uh, uh, I, I love what you say about you can't be faint of heart. Uh, I think that's so, so true. Yeah. Uh, and you've got to be a hard worker. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, too, too, too many guys, uh, I think, uh, have, um, shall we say, an inflated vision 
of, of what it's like to be a church planter. And uh, they see potentially some some guys who've planted mega churches and uh, they're on the limelight and on the stage yeah. and big conferences. And, Let me comment on they that. They have that envisioned. If I may, I, I, I speak at church planter conferences all the time, and, and they'll pull guys up who've got, you know, 6,000 after four years, and they these are the guys that are promoted as the church planters. When, in fact, very, very few people ever get to be 6,000 in their life, much less in, in the first few years. And so the, the church planter conferences frequently are like Amway conventions. You know, they'll pull four or five people up who made $500,000 in their first year, and everybody in the audience has got a garage full of soap that they cannot sell. And, uh, and they're told somehow, you can do this $500,000 in one year, and everybody knows they can't. So uh, you have to be realistic about what expectations that you're going to, uh, to have for, for this. And um, <clears throat> if, God should, if God should fall, if the Holy Spirit should fall where you are, you're lucky. And I say lucky in quotes. We don't believe in luck as Christians. But you've been blessed indeed if, if it should happen on your watch. Uh, most of us will probably have uh, lesser results than that. And uh, don't don't look at somebody else's model or somebody else's results and say, yeah, well, I, I think I could do that. Uh, and working hard is all you're expected to do. Be faithful. Uh, you know, the only place that success precedes work is in the dictionary. In every other context, those things are reversed. You've got to work first and then get success. And so, uh, yeah, I'd like to have it happen easily, but it never has for me. I've, I, you, you only have to work half a day to plant a church. It doesn't matter whether you work the first half or the second half of the day. If you work 12 hours a day, seven days a week, you'll have a, you'll have a pretty good shot at it. Uh, but it's that, uh, it's that long, long work day that makes it tough for, especially guys with kids and wives that want their attention at night and all that. Right. Well, you know, I love the, I don't know if you know Joel Rainey. I think you know Joel Rainey. Oh, I sure wrote, do. Yeah. He wrote a book here not long ago. Uh, maybe a year and a half ago or so about uh, church planting in the real world or something like that. I can't remember the title of his book now. Mm-hmm. I split my mind. But but uh, basically what he says is is much the same of what you've said. Is it's hard work and it's a day to day effort and uh, you know it, it's great to dream big but uh, live in reality and understand that it, it requires a lot of effort. It sure does. Well, look, before we get too distracted and, uh, and get on more pedestals, uh, talking about that, because I think that ties into our whole conference today, I want to talk about these questions that we really, as church planters, need to evaluate uh, to help us know, hey, are, are we ready to launch this church? Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's just start with the first one. Uh, Phil, in your opinion, how, how do you know if you have enough time to launch your new church? I already know that you don't. So give up on that. <laughs> you don't have enough time. Okay. It's, it's like saying, when, <laughs> when will I be ready to have children? Right. You know, you're not ready to have children until you have them. It's one of those conundrums of, of, uh, of life and ministry where nobody has enough time. If you, if you say, well, I'll take another year in preparation, at the end of the year there'll still be stuff you haven't gotten done. So the, the bottom line is you just got to jump in the pool and get wet <clears throat> and, uh, and start. Now, you, you can truncate that to where it'll hurt you. Uh, my last church plant, uh, we came to the community uh, from Florida to North Carolina, and nine weeks later we had our first worship service, just nine weeks. There were nine people in our core team at the time. We did uh, a pretty aggressive marketing program. We had 138 people come to the first service, and it grew straight up from there. So obviously we were in good community. I'd already planted uh, seven other churches before that, so I knew what I was doing, and, uh, and, and it worked very, very well. If it's your first church plant, uh, I would recommend that you um, uh, come up with a number of people that you think would be necessary. <clears throat> uh, Owen Weston 
has written that uh, you have to have seven teams in place before you launch. Uh, there's a, the visitor follow-up team, the worship team, the, the children's ministries team. He's got seven teams, and these things have to be fleshed out with people in your core team before you get going. probably means you're going to have 50 to 75 people assembled before you actually launch. Uh, I don't recommend launching with nine people unless you've got my kind of experience base. Uh, we, we knew how we could make it work, and, and it did. But if this is your first church plant, you need to have a, a fairly good uh, core team in place before you start. So time-wise really is driven by the other four principles that you've got in, on your list. Um, make sure that stuff's in place uh, so that you don't launch prematurely. Pre premature launch may be the number one reason for church plant failure. Yeah, I, I would say in Michigan, uh, a few years back, we did some pretty extensive research into our, our church planting history here in Michigan and found that, that oftentimes that was one of the critical things, launching too small too soon, mm -hmm. uh, and that that happened over and over, and it's probably uh, the case uh, from what I read yeah. across the country in places. Yeah, let me tell you what the reason for that is. Why would someone launch too soon when, when everybody, almost everybody says don't do that? The reason they launch too soon is because they realize I've got X number of dollars to get this thing started, and if I don't start having meetings, I can't take an offering. <clears throat> and so they're doing this for financial reasons, to make sure that they've got uh, a cash flow coming in. And the problem is that cash flow is never enough to give you financial critical mass, and so you're below critical mass on day one because you started too small, and then you never get over it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, look, let's move on to the other four because they are critical to understanding what, what is going to play into uh, the adequate time as far as launching. Uh, the second question we want to, uh, to to dialogue about is how do you know if you have enough people to launch your new church? My, my guess is based on what you just said, even though you're experienced, your ideal would not be to go back and say, you know, we just have nine, let's do that again. Uh, that was kind of an exception to the rule even in your experience. So, how do you have a sense of having enough people? Uh, well, there are two things. Number one is the number of people, and number two is who they are. Uh, it's possible to have 75 people and not be ready, because if, if you don't have anybody in there who can do the perform these services, that is children's ministry, worship, uh, nursery, um, follow-up team, and all of that, if you, if you cannot function as um, a ministering church after you launch, even if you had 75 people in your core team, if they're not ready to perform these functions, you're not ready to launch. So it's not just the number of people, it's the right people. And they have to be able to, to function according to your your business model, your plan that you've written down. Uh, if you cannot accomplish the work that needs to be accomplished with the people you have, then you don't have enough people. So this time around, we, we launched with, with nine people last time. And uh, this time around, we uh, it's a different model. We've completely rewritten our business model. Everything is different. And this time we're working on having 75 people present with all seven teams in place before we have our first public meeting. And, and our, our hope is that uh, we'll have something in the order of two or 300 people on our first day and then grow from there. So uh, this is launching large rather than just simply getting launched for the sake of getting it started uh, immediately. <clears throat> um, I'm in a situation where I do not need the money, so um, it's not a, a financial move for me. So I, I think we're doing this more cerebrally uh, than viscerally, uh, you know, my, in my head, not my gut. Uh, I think that having the 75 people will make this a better, a better church. Well, and the reality is, and I think, think you kind of said this, but I want to make sure uh, that we clarify it, uh, that number of people uh, is different depending on context, depending on the, the, the environment in which they're planting. It depends on the focus group, the kinds of people, uh, and the kind of church. You know, if you're, you're launching a, 
uh, more a house church type of uh, situation or several house churches together, then that's going to be a different, and the kind of things you're providing in those sure. themes is going to be different than if it's, a, a, I guess you'd call an attractional uh, type of a church where people are going to come and you, you've got a location, whether it's mm-hmm. affordable or a physical building or that kind of thing. So sure. those numbers do vary. But but uh, let, let me ask you this, if you would agree or disagree. Would you agree that there are times when you're, uh, a planter maybe is moving toward a, a launch, but if those people are not in place that you identify as being critical for him to have that successful launch, that you almost need to, to back off that launch date. You need to back off and say, e- even though, uh, as you said, uh, with the time issue, that uh, there's always going to be things undone, but there's some critical things relative to the people you have in place that you need to make sure is there or, or you're not going to have a successful launch. And, and you can't really launch three times. You, you know, you can't jump out there a third time and go, oh, we're going to launch again. Yeah, I've get seen one good ma- shot at it. I've seen a bunch of guys launch a second time, and usually the second launch is no more successful than the first one. Uh, if you don't have it right once, you probably won't get it right the second time. Usually that means the guy's not not called as a church planter and doesn't have the skill set to make this happen. So uh, sometimes the people need a pastor, and sometimes they need a, a pastor to, to, to comfort them, and other times they'll need a general to inspire them. And so a, a church planter is part-time general, part-time pastor. And uh, if he's short on the general end to inspire people, uh, he'll have trouble uh, gathering a team to actually get this get all this work done. You've got, like you've got to have a nursery coordinator. Uh, if you don't have a nursery coordinator, you're you're going to be in trouble. Uh, we we didn't have one last time we launched, and so we went to the local Seventh Day Adventist Church and we hired six women to work in our nursery for the first Sunday. And we gave them twenty five dollars an hour or something like that, and they couldn't pass that up. The, ch- the Seventh Day Adventist Church had a, a nursery, uh, what we call daycare, in their church, and um, we uh, so we had some really good women. <clears throat> they didn't teach doctrine. They just change diapers. You don't need to be a, you know, a, a evangelical of my theological stripe to, to change diapers in my nursery. So we had uh, we had six women come, and that worked so well. We kept them for the month, and it worked so well for the month that we kept them permanently. And uh, in about two or three years, we had 22 of those women working in our nursery. So it cost us fifty thousand dollars a year to staff the nursery, but it was we got more than way more than fifty thousand dollars back from the young couples who came who had kids in the nursery. So, you know, it was just a creative way to get around the fact that we didn't have anybody who wanted to work in the nursery. Nursery nursery coordinator may be the most difficult position to staff in a church plant. It's easier to get a worship leader than it is to get a uh, a good uh, nursery uh, coordinator. But that nursery area, that uh, any, anything related to those children is critical. It yep. It's critical. First through sixth grade. It has to be in place. Yeah, first through sixth grade is, is, the, uh, is, the, is the biggie. Uh, we started out, we had, you know, three or four high school kids and 150 uh, first through sixth graders. So uh, it's the younger families that are going to come to a new church, and you've got to be able to minister to their kids the day they arrive. You cannot say to them, look, in a couple of months we're going to have a great program for your kids. They're going to leave. You've got to have that on day one. <clears throat> so uh, putting a team together that can uh, function. Uh, when we started my last church, I did it myself. I, uh, I taught the first through sixth grade uh, class. We had a Sunday school, and I taught that myself. I, did a, uh, I set all the parents down. I said, we're going to do it for your kids. We're going to do a verse-by-verse exposition in the first 11 chapters of Genesis, and I'm going to cover all the relevant creation science issues that a first through sixth grader can understand so that we can beat their junior high science teachers to the punch on the evolution issue, and the parents love the idea. And so we, we grew in leaps and bounds in, with the children's group, and every time a family came with little kids, they said, oh, look, this is the perfect church for us. And so <clears throat> when, uh, when I left, uh, there are you know, hundreds and hundreds of people in this church 
uh, there's still only a dozen high school kids and a couple of hundred first and sixth graders. Hmm. So that's got to be that's got to be uh, that's got to be done up front. You can't uh, tell people if you just hang on long enough, we'll get that eventually. They don't listen right. to that. They're coming. Well, that's just, that's one of those people issues that's critical. <laughs> Yep. Before you launch. Well, look, we, we've camped too long probably on question two, so let's hit these next couple of questions. And I definitely want to make sure we have ample time to talk about the community awareness issue because mm-hmm. that's one of your areas of expertise. But sure. let's look at question number three. How, how do you know if you have enough money to launch your new church? Uh, you, you, you build a budget, you decide what you need, and then uh, you start collecting people for the core team, and the people should be giving into that fund, and when you have enough money, you go ahead and, and go forward. In other words, your launch date should be driven by the number of people and the number of dollars they give. Uh, we will probably spend $35,000 on our marketing program uh, with uh, telephone calls, uh, direct mail, billboards, and all of that to make sure that everybody in the community knows we're here. Uh, so the money is uh, is pretty critical. Probably most guys are underfinanced, especially if their denomination is paying for it. And uh, they, uh, if they're going to short anything, they short the marketing. And, of course, if they don't know you're there, they cannot come. So uh, if you fail to tell them, then you can expect a small crowd. So money money is critical, and the most p- critical part of the money is the part that you uh, use to make sure the community knows you're there. Let, let me ask you a question just from your experience working with coaching hundreds of other church planters uh, because you've done that. Um, I, I know in your personal situation, the money issue as far as personal salary and that kind of thing is not a critical issue for you because of some resources you have available. But but you've worked with lots of other guys who some are planting with the denomination, some are not, some are on their own. Uh, but but in the process of them doing that, uh, do you have any recommendations for a guy to say, hey, look, before you uh, move to a certain stage, you ought to have this percentage of your income in place or you ought to have you know, X number of dollars are in place? Or I mean, what, what would be your recommendation to a guy relative to the money, particularly for his own support? Uh, nobody's going to want to hear this, but <laughs> I'll I just tell you what the facts are. If you don't like to hear it, then we'll let the guys deal with it that way or, or email me and tell me I'm crazy. The uh, best thing you can do is get a job. I realize that you want to be full-time in this church plant, but uh, the more money you have to use out of the plant for your own personal support, the less you've got to, to attract people. The purpose for money is to, to make more money. That, that, that's what that's what that's how a business works. In other words, if you collect... Uh, uh, $30,000 a year from your core team, uh, and you have to spend uh, all 30000 of it in your own support, then you can never increase the size of the crowd. You've got to be able to spend the money to bring more people in. The purpose for money is to bring more people in. And so to the degree that you use it up for your own support, you defeat that. So if you can have some sort of a uh, alternate income source, uh, be bivocational for the first year or two, uh, the guys that do that are the, the ones who are most likely to succeed uh, and you may be thinking, well, gee, that, I thought church planning was a full-time job. It is. What it means is you're going to have two full-time jobs. And uh, you're young, you're strong, you can do it. Look, I'm 63, I'm doing it. And um, it, it's, uh, it's, it's very doable, and it will make it work. In two years from now, three years from now, you'll be fine. Uh, it, it's heavy, labor-intensive on the front end, but eventually you'll get some relief. Right. Well, I've known guys that done it, have done everything from wash windows to I've got – one friend that's a church planter's into it a few years now, but he's got some great stories from working at Home Depot. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, and it's a great bridge builder too to your community. So, mm-hmm. without any doubt. Yeah. Okay, let's let's move to the next question. Uh, how, how do you know, Phil, uh, if you have enough momentum to launch your church? And really, my my motive behind this question is, 
what what can you identify? What can you recognize to go? You know, we're not ready. Uh, we can all, in our head, dream of what what it, it's going to be. Mm-hmm. I've walked a lot beside enough church planters on a launch day to see them have such high expectations and those expectations be crushed because they really didn't have the momentum. So what do you see? What are some some key ingredients of knowing they have enough momentum? Yeah, Bobby, they've got to have uh, a a list of things that need to be in place, objective things. Not the subjective, I feel good about this, objective things. Do I have a nursery coordinator? Do I have enough worship horsepower? Uh, Like a lot of guys don't, so they go ahead with the, uh, you know, they're using CDs for music and, it falls flat. The people know it's it's flat. There's no no excitement uh, in in what's happening. It means you just haven't done your homework. And that's not true. Um, it's not that you haven't done your homework. You haven't done enough homework in collecting people. So people are the uh, the, the 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 basis for all of this. A church is people. And so if you if you uh, do not have the people, you will not have the momentum. And at that point, I think you should probably reevaluate and say, no, we're going to have to slow down. The problem that most guys have is their denomination says we're going to give you one year full support, second year half support. Um, I, I would say we're going to give you, if I were the denominational exec, I'd say give them one year full support. After that, you're on your own. Uh, I've seen too many guys who, when told we're going to give you one year full support, they coast for that year, and they really start hustling the second year when they've only got half support. So uh, that's a commentary on American uh, um, work ethic. Uh, you know, I'm older, grew up in a different era. And uh, so for me, you know, you get up when it's dark and you go to sleep when it's dark. Uh, you quit working, rather, when it's dark. <clears throat> so that the, the work ethic thing is very, very important. And uh, if, you don't, uh, if you don't get this accomplished, you, you, the momentum will, will fail. Plus, if you launch at the, lo- the wrong time, if you launch Easter Sunday, you know, you're going to lose all your momentum the following week because the Sunday after Easter is the lowest attended Sunday in the church calendar. And then after that, you've got a, the summer slump. And so if you launch pre-Easter or at Easter, then you're going to have to do something to regain your momentum prior to September. You're going to have to almost do another marketing program all over again. <clears throat> Time of the year is pretty critical in this. Best uh, Sunday of the year, second Sunday in September to launch. It gives you all the way from that Sunday to Easter to gain momentum for your, uh, to carry you through your first summer. Right. Oh, absolutely. Well, and I, I would think some of uh, just referring to the actual launch time, you, you've talked about that for a moment, but uh, that to some extent can be driven, too, by, by local community. It depends on the kind of a community you're in. I mean, in Michigan, sure. we have very long, cold winters, and uh, launching right in the middle of that probably is not the best option, but then there are other places where you've got extremely hot summers, and uh, that may not be the best time to launch either. Uh, sure. If you're in Phoenix, I wouldn't want to start my church in August in Phoenix. Right. Oh, yeah. uh, or September, for that matter, in Phoenix is, is going to be pretty hot. And it's also true that all your snowbirds are going to be up in Minnesota, uh, and they won't be back until mid-November. So, you know, if you're launching in uh, Phoenix, I'd wait until uh, mid-November or later. Yeah, that, that goes back to knowing a... your community. Knowing yeah, your community. that's right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let, let's move into the last area. We've just got six or seven minutes uh, before we want to wrap up our, our conference today. But I want to find out, and, and you to help us, how do you know enough, uh, how do you know if you have enough community awareness in your community to, to launch your new church? Now, this is one of the areas I mentioned a while ago that you're kind of an expert in. Uh, and I want you to make sure and tell us about your Telstart ministry you've done in coaching and working with planters and helping them. Um, but not just so much just that ministry, but mm-hmm. what are the critical aspects that that ministry brings to the table that other things do too? You mentioned a while ago in launching 
this new church you're working on now, you're going to use a, a phone calling, which is the Telstar, but you're going to do direct mail, you're going to do billboards. Talk about those principles of repetition and saturation in the community. The, uh, the, 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 the easiest thing to understand is that um, in marketing, the farmer that shakes the tree first gets most of the nuts. Uh, and so, you know, farmers shake the tree, nuts fall off, they pick them up. Uh, go back a week later, he shakes it again, and they pick up more nuts, but fewer than last time. Next week, he goes back and he picks up, you know, one quarter of the nuts he got the first time. Finally, after about four weeks, there's no more nuts falling. And so the only way he can get any nuts is to climb up the tree and pick them up one at a time. So depending on uh, your situation, you know, um, it, it may be different. It depends on how much harvesting has gone on before you got there. Uh, so the farmer that shakes the tree first, or hardest, gets most of the nuts. Secondly, not all the trees have nuts on them. Uh, it could be diseased or underwatered or whatever. Uh, if the tree has been effectively shaken before you got there, you will have to settle for fewer nuts. This determines the size of your church. So if there are large megachurches nearby, regardless of what marketing you use, you're going to have difficulty competing with them. And competition is not the right word, but it's the best one that expresses the uh, uh, the, the, the principle. <clears throat> so... Uh, I think there are two or three things that are, are work best. I'm using them. Uh, direct mail, uh, breakthrough media in Charles City, Virginia, best in the country as far as I know, uh, and also least expensive. They do fabulous work. We're using them. We're sending out 150,000 postcards to our community. Uh, and then, of course, we'll do our telephone calls. If you guys who don't know what Telstart is, we make automated uh, phone calls to everybody within some distance that you specify. So from your center point, we might go out three, four, five, six, seven miles and call every single residential phone. It'll say, hi, if you'd like to hear about a great new church, press one on your phone. We tell them about the church in the next minute and ask them to leave their name for follow-up. <clears throat> and about one in 200 people that we call leaves their name. So we've had guys have five, six, seven hundred people on their first Sunday as a result of making these phone calls. And we've done, uh, I guess, about 800 of these programs in 48 states. <clears throat> so it works just about everywhere um, in in, if you're in Connecticut, you're not going to get the same response that you're going to get in Alabama. You know, it's just a different uh, paradigm there. But uh, as many different marketing things as, as you can do, I have a document uh, that we send out uh, free from our ministry. It's called Incarnational Evangelism, 20 things that you can do for free to get people to come to your church. Uh, anybody emails me, I'll be glad to send that to them, uh, phil at tellstart.com. And um, I'll be glad to send you the incarnational evangelism document. <clears throat> That'll give you 20 things you can do without spending any money. Do all those things first. Do everything free first before you start spending money. Now, the money's precious. Hang on to it. Uh, do the free stuff. So we will do uh, phone calls, direct mail, billboards. Uh, we, we give out business cards to everybody. Cheapest uh, uh, program you have is giving out uh, business cards. Yeah, and one of the key principles uh, that, that a lot of guys don't grasp, in my experience, Phil, is, is that law of large numbers. It's just yes. a basic principle that, that has to be applied when you're doing any kind of, you call it what you want to, people don't like the term marketing, but, but you are basically marketing the church at that point. Yes. Uh, raising awareness. Uh, you know, yep. I like that term. Uh, you're trying to raise awareness in the community of the church. And uh, if you do it, the larger numbers that you put out there, the more cards that are mailed, the more phone calls mm -hmm. that are made, yep. the more people see a billboard, uh, whatever it is, the larger the numbers, uh, then the larger the response is going right. to be. Uh, you you have to kiss a lot of frogs to find a prince. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> well, and, and those principles of saturation, uh, you're using multiple forms. 
to saturate that community to raise awareness, and you're using repetition. In other words, you're probably not going to mail just one postcard and hope lots of people come. Right. Uh, yeah, we're doing five, five sets. Postcards. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I interrupt you. Go ahead. Uh, we're using five sets of postcards, 30,000 cards to f- for five consecutive weeks, one card per week for uh, to 30,000 people for five weeks. Yeah, so you're saturating the yep. same area of the community, but yep. you're repeating that so that builds awareness. And they yeah, start if they don't know we're here, it won't be my fault. Right. But but if they don't know you're there, they absolutely will never come. <laughs> that is a fact. Yeah. yeah, they absolutely will never come. Yeah. Well, Phil, you know, th- this has been helpful to us, and, and I know your ministry uh, has been a great encouragement to a lot of guys across our country uh, through Telstar, but also your coaching uh, and working with them and other church planters. And what you've been able to bring to the table to us today is good. Let me ask you to do something as we wrap up our conference today, kind of as we close. Uh, I'd like for you to give our, our listeners a final word to encourage them on their church planting journey based on your experience. Well, the uh, where we live in Johnston County, North Carolina, uh, a study has been done. Uh, 22% of the people say they're Southern Baptist. 6% say they're Methodist. Uh, 72% say they have no religious preference. We are on the buckle of the Bible Belt, and 72% have no religious preference. Church planting in America today is like a mosquito at a beach party. Man, you can take a bite anywhere and draw flesh. So it doesn't matter where you are. Uh, some people will tell you that some communities are resistant. Man, there are enough sinners to go around. There are pagans everywhere. Get out there. Put your nose to the grindstone. Work hard. Work smart. Get help. Read the books. There are a gazillion books now on how to plant churches. When I started, there weren't any. Uh, read the books and uh, get a good coach. Now, talk to somebody who knows what they're doing. And uh, if you don't have a coach and you want some free advice, call me. I'm, I'm available to talk to you on the phone. Uh, but I, I think that uh, the, we should be very encouraged for two reasons. One, there are so many people who are seeking something today, and the fact that the country is in such a mess that people are seeking spiritual answers to the, some of the secular problems that we have. What a great encouragement from you, Phil. We appreciate that, and we thank you for your time and for sharing your expertise uh, with those of us who are in, in that journey of planting churches and, and desire to be as well. You know, our prayer is that uh, what God has done in your life and your ministry will be a blessing to others who are encouraged by your mm-hmm. testimony today. And uh, for our listeners, uh, for more ideas and encouragement, we want to encourage you to listen to some of the other recordings as well in this series on church planting and how do you know uh, if you have enough uh, of these areas. For our audio conference ministry, I'm Bobby Gilstrap. We want to thank you for joining us today. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Audio Conference for Pastors. Listen to future episodes by visiting audioconferenceforpastors.com or by subscribing on iTunes. An archive of past episodes is also available. Join us next time as we continue to develop leaders to their God-given capacity on the Audio Conference for Pastors.